Hello and welcome to Don't Follow the Herd. I am your host, Matthew, a.k.a. Dark Sheep. Welcome to our DFS podcast. It is NFL Week 4, and we are proudly brought to you by Pater Analytics. And as usual, we are joined by Mr. Pater, James McCool. James, how are you? Dude, I'm great. I'm great. I uh, have uh, had some pretty good variants fall my way over the last um, couple of slates, showdown slates and NFL slates and everything like that. So I'm um, feeling like a not quite as normally degenerate gambler as I usually feel like. Um, how are you? I, I'm good. I, uh, I was on the opposite side of uh, all of the uh, Marquise Brown uh, touchdown drops. Uh, tragic. And uh, I had been on the uh, locket train this week, so I hit the wrong side of that coin flip too. So, oh well, uh, we move on. And this week uh, we are going to be talking about mostly about projections and some of the basics and more advanced concepts. So we uh, brought on our friend Derek Cardi from RG and the Blitz and the Bat. Uh, Derek, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Let's start out with how you guys both, let's just start out not really too technical, but how did you guys both get into projections? And, uh, you know, James, what, what drew you to projections and some of your main focus? I mean, I didn't start building projections until I started working at Daily Roto. And um, I kind of, I talked a lot with Christian Rappi, who was the guy building the projections over there and, and building out their models. And um, I was really interested in the way that he was handling things and kind of the way that he was going about things. And I kind of just always wanted to be self-sufficient. I'm, I've never been somebody who really likes to use other people's models because I like to know what goes into everything that I am working on. So like using somebody else's models without knowing everything about it um, obviously that's going to push you towards wanting to know what is in the model and therefore building your own model. So uh, I kind of started at Daily Roto and it was more of just uh, after talking to Christian about how their models were put together and gleaning that kind of info, I wanted to try it out myself, build my own and, and make some comparisons. I started out with ranking systems, which is what I had for a long time. Um, building out basically not a projection system, but something that would say this player is better than this player based on uh, their ranking from these variables. And then that transitioned into building out some more complex models and then eventually some player level simulations. And uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey. So a lot of it is just me trying to put things together that I think are valuable and that I think are kind of... Uh, different than what other people put out because I think that there are a, a million ways to skin a cat in the in the sports betting and the DFS industry. So um yeah it just it all just came from me wanting to know what was in the sauce. And so I just figured I might as well create my own sauce. Yeah. And that's sort of what we're gonna get into today is what's in some of the ingredients in the sauces. Uh Derek, I know you built the bat first. What got you into projections? I I assume you started with that or were you doing something else before nope the bat was uh the first projection system i built and uh, my path was kind of similar to james where i wanted to be self-sufficient i wanted my own thing i wanted to know what goes into it um 
I started building the bat before DFS was even like a thing. I built it for season long fantasy baseball purposes while I was doing, you know, work in, in that sector. And then once DFS came along, I was like, okay, well, this is like a perfect pivot point. Like there's so many more factors to consider for DFS that don't really matter for season long. Um, so I really thought there was a, you know, a market for it there. And I thought that I could do it well. And so that's kind of how I got into this space, but I've been building the bat or I started building the bat probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I think James's point about knowing what goes into a projection is huge because there's so many people that they'll look at projections and they don't know what goes into it. And then they'll try to do their own research and they'll be like, okay, well, the projection says that this guy's good, but, uh, I mean, look, he's got a great game script today, or, you know, he's got a high Vegas team total. Like he must be really good. And, and a lot of, like, if you don't know that those things are already in the projection, you're going to be double counting them. And so, uh, at least for me, I try to be as transparent as possible with what goes into my projections, so that users know, okay, this is what's already being accounted for. I don't have to worry about that. Um, and I don't have to wind up, you know, mistakenly over, oh, you know, over accounting for things. And how did, how did you uh, jump over to NFL? That was just because, you know, the bat had been going so well for a while. I wanted a new challenge. NFL seemed like um, obviously a really big market. It was a game that I had interest in. It was a game that I thought that I could model well. Um, I thought a lot of the math between baseball and football was, um, was the same. I thought that there were going to be some new challenges, things that you have to count for in football um, that aren't a thing in baseball. Um, and I thought that I could do it, I, I mean, I guess differently and or better than, than what was out there at the time, because I think the way that I approach um, projecting players is, is very different than the way most um, NFL projections work, because I come from the baseball side. I come from the sabermetrics and that type of stuff. And so I just thought that it would be, you know, kind of a, it's just a good market to get into and something that I'd have, have an edge with. You mentioned that you thought you could do things uh, a little bit differently, Derek. So when you go to start a new week, like say your week four, what is what is the what is the starting process for you to, and where are you getting the data? Or well, maybe you don't have to give away where you're getting the data, but what kind of data are you grabbing as your baseline? Yeah, I mean, I have all sorts of data, different feeds. Um, a lot of it comes from from play by play feeds where. Um, you know, the Blitz will look at every single play that, you know, has been run historically in the NFL and it will tally up data from that. Um, and uh, I mean, that's such a broad question. It, it grabs <laughs> lots of di lots of different data. I guess one of the, the ways that I can describe the way my models work, and I don't know exactly how other people build theirs, like I can't speak for James or for anybody else. Um, but I, I think at least a perception that the public has about about, you know, models is that you take a few variables that you think are important, you kind of shove them into the computer and the computer like spits out like the final number to you. And I don't know if, if all models like work that way or all projections work that way, but mine definitely don't. Like there's lots and lots of different components that are all completely separate of each other. And then they kind of wind up getting put back together. Like I don't have just like one model that you put in a few variables and it says, okay, Patrick Mahomes is going to score 25 DraftKings points this week. Like I have a separate model that tells me, okay, you know, a model for, uh, 
for how to handle game script. What happens to a team's pass run mix with a, you know, a favorable game script or an unfavorable game script, like a, a model for, okay, this is the impact that one additional mile per hour of wind has on completion percentage, has on, on yards, has on sacks, has on whatever. Um, and so it's a lot of different things, um, you know, that you kind of put together um, into, you know, a projection system, which I guess a, a collection of different, you know, you're, you're projecting everything separately, I think is the right way to do it. You want to know, okay, this is how good the quarterback is. This is how good each receiver is. This is how good the offensive line is um, independent of each other. And then uh, you put it all together into the context of that week's game. And then you get a, you know, a final projection. So you go for the uh, French cooking style where all the, all the ingredients and all the steps, I think uh, maybe, maybe I'm uh, putting, maybe I'm wrong, James, but I think you're more of a uh, really good cheeseburger kind of projection system. Would you say that's fair? Uh, I, I had a really good cheeseburger for lunch, but uh, oh, no, no. I mean, I think, I think that when you build out, a model there there's a very simple way to do it so i put out a, a video on my youtube it's about an hour long that just was walking through how to basically build what cardi just described in a very very basic linear projection model where you're taking like the baseline rush attempts yards per rush and like pass attempts and yards per pass and you're applying that towards the players that it is specific to and then it'll spit out a projection but you know if you just do that then you don't really build a projection system you build an average system right you're not really projecting much uh, because we already have those historical numbers and if you're just using purely statistical like historical baselines um, all you're doing is coming up with an average of what has been done and using that is what you think will continue to happen. The crux of a true projection system is taking the historical baselines and applying it towards something that allows you to better predict the future outcomes based on the past outcomes. So Cardi's right that you build projection systems, um, which are basically a whole bunch of models or algorithms put together. My projection system for my range of outcomes i have let's see let's let's open this up really quick and just get a an idea so i have a model that breaks down target shares and rushing shares i have a model that breaks down uh that goes top down from vegas and projects out the amount of plays that teams are going to have i have a model that takes how many plays the team is going to have and then breaks down how many touchdowns they should have. I have another model that aggregates ownership projections and then applies it against global variable. I have like, so I have like a whole bunch of different models. I have probably 11 or 12 different models that actually speak to each other and then come down to develop the baselines that are utilized for the simulation program that I then use to build out the projections. So it's like when you even doing what I do with NFL, which is, uh, which is player level simulations, which is an easier form of simulation than game level simulations. Um, even that is, is exceptionally complicated and, and difficult to build. It takes a long time to uh, put together the baselines and put together the models that then speak to each other that, that go into a final projection model um, that you can actually use for front facing. 
we're uh, three weeks into the season now. And, uh, you know, when you started the season or when we started on the first week, James, we sort of talked about how you had to use some data from last season and adjust for uh, new coaches, new quarterbacks, new players, all that sort of stuff. Uh, where are you at now as far as, you know, what you can do with three weeks of data in a projection system? Well, the beauty of a player level simulation is that I don't need quite as much data to make things seem or to, to give me something that is usable um, because I am using deviations at the player level uh, and I am making some assumptions based on some global variables that I have in there. Um, it's not that they normalize quicker. It's just that I can use data and, and apply some randomness to it so that it, it gets used in the simulation correctly. So three weeks data, we're almost there. By five weeks, I'll have everything that I need to feel good about the projections that I can use just based on this season's data. Um, three weeks, we're, we're almost there. Uh, I, I shouldn't have to make too many hard adjustments. And, and it's team-based, right? Like if I am looking at, like today I'm going over rushing data and, and Wednesday is my day for, for messing with rushing market shares. So, you know, the, the Denver Broncos have pretty much been the exact same team uh, all year. The, there's really not much more that I have to worry about when it comes to the Denver Broncos. I know that Melvin Gordon is going to be sitting at like a 42% rushing market share. Devontae Williams at 41%. But uh, Dallas, you know, they, they've been back and forth on Ezekiel and Tony, Tony Pollard. Maybe I have to do a little bit more fudge work for them. Um, Houston, like Houston's a shit show. So like, <laughs> I don't know, man, I, I'm going to have to do a lot of fudging there. So it, it's kind of team-based. Um, by five weeks, I'll feel pretty good about using a lot of like the kind of baselines and the averages that we have. And I'm not going to have to regress too much, but that it's – you kind of have to know and have an idea of what teams are doing and what teams want to do and injuries and everything like that um, before you can actually just sit pat on baselines. Cardi, Cardi will, Cardi will disagree with me. He will go much longer than I will. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not like I disagree. Um, I I think, I don't know. I I think my approach is maybe just, just different in certain ways. Um, so like I do very little manual adjustments um, once we're into the season. Um, the way my systems work, it's going to use not just this season of data, but it's going to use historical data as well. So like, you know, if we have two weeks of data on Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, that's not a very big sample, but we have several years telling us that Patrick Mahomes is a very, very good quarterback, probably the best quarterback in football or one of them. And so the system is going to account for that. It's going to account for aging. It's going to account for uh, context. So if a, if a player put up good numbers, but in a very easy situation, he's going to get less credit for it than if he put up good numbers in a very difficult situation. And so for like player level projections, um, I do very little in terms of um, adjustments because the system is kind of set up to be able to handle all that. Um, there is obviously, especially for football, um, the necessity for, for some manual components at at different phases, you know, uh, just because sometimes the historical data is, is irrelevant. You know, you have a team. uh, One of the things I do before every season is I go through, I examine every coach, every, every team situation to try to figure out, um, their different, um, 
you know, play calling tendencies in a bunch of different regards, but like on a basic level, like pass run mix. So like the Houston Texans last year were one of the most pass heavy um, offenses in, in football, but this year, you know, they have a new offensive coordinator or a new, new head coach. I forget. They changed one of their coaches and they kept one. I think they changed the head coach. Um, and, uh, and they don't have Deshaun Jackson and they talked, you know, during the off season about, you know, running the ball more, um, obviously the quarterback quality is going to be a lot worse. And so if you're just using last year's Houston Texans pass run mix, you're going to be way off because they're not going to be the most pass heavy offense in football. Um, they're going to be a run heavy offense. So like before the season I go in, um, I tell the system, okay, these are like the, the baseline assumptions that we're going to start with. And then after every season of, or every you know week of the year, it says, okay, I have this new data and I'm going to combine this with the previous assumption based on how noisy that data is. And I'm going to come up with a new projection that we think is the best projection for, uh, for right now. I think something that a lot of people, uh, especially casual players, miss about, about data and projections um, is they assume that um, sample sizes are either big or small and they're like the same for everything. And, and that's not true. It's individualized to every specific thing. Some things need a very small sample size before they become relevant. And some things, you know, need a, need, need a huge sample size before they become relevant. Like a running back's yards per carry. Uh, you don't want to use that straight up. Like that's going to take a long, long, long time to stabilize. What a running back has done over the first three weeks of the 2021 season in terms of his efficiency matters like close to zero. Um, but what a quarterback does matters a little bit more. Um, and some things stabilize very quickly, like a team's pace, um, you know, how, you know, their seconds per play type stuff, how quickly they, they run their plays. Uh, that stabilizes very quickly. We can get a good sense of who a team is after a week or two in terms of that. And so everything's different. And so one of the things that my system does is it examines every factor individually, it examines the level of noise in each one, and it knows how quickly or how slowly um, it's able to trust various things. And so, you know, different inputs into the system will uh, change either quicker or slower throughout the season based on how noisy it is and how much we can trust it. Let's, let's talk about what a projection number actually is, right? So you got that number, you go into James's spreadsheet or you go into uh the blitz uh the lineup builder over on rg james what what actually is that number is it it's not it's it's the exact amount of points that person's going to score right <laughs> yeah yeah you you don't need to know anything more than that you can just predict future with it and and just move on with your way that's all yeah no no it's uh it's the median so it is the it is the 50th percentile outcome. Well, I mean, I, I assume that's how most projection systems are, but it is the 50th percentile outcome that's going to happen within that player's range of outcomes. Um, it is the quote unquote, most likely outcome. Um, although thinking of it that way is, is generally really, really wrong. Uh, but you, it, it's the median, right? So it's basically the average. Essentially, if you were to play out the scenario a million times, um, and you know, sometimes the player's going to explode. He's going to, you know, score 50 points. Sometimes he's going to get injured in the first, the first two minutes of the game. He's going to score zero points. 
you average out all of the outcomes and that that's what that number is right there. So it's certainly not telling you this is exactly what the player is going to do. It's not even necessarily the most likely thing to happen, but it is the average thing that should happen, um, which, uh, which does tell us a lot, but it doesn't tell us everything. In that case, what, I guess, what is that number good for then? What does it tell us? I mean, it tells us in an average scenario, who the best plays are, you know, which players are going to do well, which players are going to do not as well. Um, you know, what the, the quote unquote, most likely thing to happen is going to be. And, uh, you know, that, that is an important number to have because it's, it's at the very least the place you should be starting from. Um, and depending on what types of games you're playing, like if you're playing cash games, um, that number is, you know, mostly, you know, not all you need, but it gets you most of the way there. And in tournaments, James, uh, you know, a lot of people use, you know, whatever their projection system is, and they'll upload it into their favorite lineup builder, and they'll just hit 150, let's go, let's see how, let's get the best scoring team. So when it comes to tournaments, is that, is how does the median affect your thought process in a tournament type scenario? I almost don't think you should use median at all. I, I mean, like, uh, for for practical purposes, you kind of need to. Like, if you are going to be MMEing or if you're going to be building out a portfolio of lineups or blah, 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 blah. Like, there's a time and a place to talk about portfolios and, and MME. But um, I think that if you are purely looking at median projections for GPPs, uh, that worked great six years ago. It worked fantastic seven years ago. Uh, but now it's not near enough. And I, I think that there are a lot of people that focus way, way, way too much on median outcomes and focus way too much on, uh, on projections in general to the point where a lot of the dead money in an NFL contest or, or in any DFS contest is purely from people who are slaves to median outcomes and, and don't understand that, um, while that is the thing that happens most of the time over a, a million outcomes, it's not even the thing that you really need to win the contest. The vast majority of the time, what you need is is deviations outside of the median, and what you need is ceiling games. Um, and and you have to be able to understand that just because a player has a high median or or even you know a, a good median doesn't mean their ceiling is good. And, uh, and that's something that, that is um, not focused on enough. So it, especially in GBPs, I think that projections, I'm not even sure that you really need projections to find success in GPPs, but I don't think that I have enough time to talk about why that is. Sure. Yeah, we're just, we're just sort of more on a general scale. Um, Derek, uh, do you think there's other uh, bad ways that people use projections? or bad things about relying too much on them? I mean, I think, I think James kind of hit it. Um, I, I think the way, the bad way that people use projections is not understanding what they are and not having uh, the right understanding and, and the right expectations for, for it. You know, if you're just like running an optimal lineup and wondering why you're not winning a GPP because uh, well, the, the lineup builder is telling me that this is the best possible lineup. Like, it's, it's not for GPPs. Like that is the, the 50th percentile outcome to win a GPP. You need to find the thing that 
isn't going to happen 50% of the time. You need to find the thing that's going to happen 2% of the time, but that the field only thinks is going to happen a quarter percent of the time or like that sort of thing. Like there, there's a whole game theory component to it, which if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably listened to James's audiobook, And if you haven't, you should go listen to it right after this because <laughs> it's going to explain all that stuff in way more detail than I think is the scope of this interview. But, um, you know, I do think you need good projections for GPPs. I do kind of disagree with James in that regard, but you need more than just projections. Projections are not enough. You need projections. You need good game theory. You need to use your head a little bit. You need to, you know, th there's more to it than that. You need to find the right correlations and the right leverage, and you need to consider ownership. And uh, there, there's a lot more to, to GPPs than just projections, but I do think you need them, um, especially, you know, once you figure out, okay, well, I think uh, – you know, the, the Minnesota Vikings stack this week, um, you know, their, their ceiling outcome is really high relative to what their ownership is. You know, their prices are good. They're, they're whatever. Once you have that stack, you still, first you need a projection to tell you that their, their ceiling outcome is, is good. And uh, you also need to put pieces around that. So you can't just like plug in random guys. Like you do want, you know, good plays outside of your stack because your whole, your whole team isn't a stack. Yeah, that's great. I, I think you're actually better at advertising James's book, audiobook than he is. By the way, <laughs> uh, Jordan actually makes fun of me about that all the time. I'm really, really bad at it. I'm just, I'm the worst salesperson on the planet. I'm not a seller. I'm a builder. <laughs> yeah, and as far as you know, something you said, Derek, uh, knowing about what goes into the projection, that's actually how I, I've become fans of both your work is that you guys are both super open to talking about and answering any question about what goes into them. Speaking of questions, I know James has a question for you, Derek. Uh, and maybe we can talk about some other positions, but specifically, I know he uh, is wondering about your defensive projections and you know some of the stuff that goes into defense. Yeah, so, so some background on that really quick. Uh, I'm building an optimizer for Paydirt right now, just like a super, super basic one in R, just because I'm poor and I can't pay somebody else to build a better one. But uh, I, that means that I have to build defensive projections, and I have not had defensive projections built because I think they're dumb. But I built them, I built them and after building them, they are confirmed dumb from the way that I built them. And I'm just... I'm just interested to hear if you have some sort of like reasoning for why I should think that they are not just like just randomness to the wind. Yeah. I mean, the blitz projects defense. I think they're about as good as any defensive projection can be, but I am with you that defense is definitely the least important part of, of building a DFS lineup. Like, a lot of times people will tell me or ask me like, oh, what defense should I play this week? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just play play the best best projected cheap one that like fits with the rest of your build and, and that's going to be good enough because there is so much variance in defensive projections. That's not to say that they're all variants or that it can't be projected well. Um, it's just to say that the, the range between the best projected defense and the worst projected defense is so much smaller than for any other, pro, uh, for any other position because – there's so much variance in defense. Like there's very intelligent analysts out there that will tell you defense doesn't matter. Defense can't be projected. Defensive stats mean nothing. Um, and I've found some ways to glean a little bit of, of usefulness out of defensive data um, that I don't think the public has. 
but it is still a very, very noisy thing. So when I'm projecting defenses um, for like fantasy points, part of it will be the quality of the defense, um, which I am projecting, which I do think I'm doing a pretty good job at, but a lot of it's going to do with the matchup as well. So it's going to do with, you know, to do with the, the opposing quarterback and offensive line and the weather components and the, the home field advantage and like whatever else is going, is going into it. Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's where, you know, you're going to see a lot of the, um, the, the differences in projected defenses. Well, this defense is facing a really good offense. So they project poorly. Um, and it's not quite as simple as that. Um, and there are other, um, um, other components that I do think can kind of give us a little bit of an edge with defense. Like the way my projections work, they work off each other. So like, the defense's projected interceptions are going to be the exact same as the opposing quarterback's projected interceptions because they should be. They're on opposite sides of the game together. So once I'm projecting the quarterback's interceptions, I'm already projecting the defenses. And the way I'm projecting the quarterbacks is using the quality of the quarterback, his receivers, the offensive line, the weather, um, and, and volume components. You know, we're accounting for the, you know, the blitz accounts for pace. So if this is a game that has a lot of um, – uh, plays being projected to run because the teams, both teams play at a fast pace. Um, that could wind up being a good thing for the defense because more total plays is more opportunities to accrue sacks, uh, to accrue fumbles, to accrue interceptions, that type of thing. So, um, I mean, that's obviously not a, not a simple answer, but that is, I guess, uh, a broad view of kind of how I do defense. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I, uh, I really just don't care about defense, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I most of my defensive rankings, because like I said, I, I like rankings as a way of, of approaching DFS. I think that it is I think projections introduce a lot of people to absolutes. And I was actually very wary to actually to develop projection systems because I, I didn't want people looking at them and saying, oh, well, what about this projection? And I'm like, I just sure, dude, my projections don't matter all that much. Like if you played good players then good things should happen or you would expect better things to happen if you play good players. But uh, with defense specifically, uh, the only things that I've ever really cared about are how often the opposing quarterback allows sacks. So how often the opposing team allows sacks uh, and the team total. And those are the two things that I mostly care about when I build out defense projections. And those are the two things that go into a defense projection for me because, um, you know, pass rate, pass interception rates typically are, pretty pretty they're regressive pretty i think yeah yeah, yeah. they're, they're and, and that's something regressive. a lot of people don't realize they say oh man Jameis winston or ryan fitzpatrick they throw so many interceptions they're such bad quarterbacks it's like interceptions are so noisy yeah people, it's just like a concept that like general public people like just it blows their mind they just they just can't wrap their head around it it's like i just watched him throw an interception it was a bad pass of course interceptions are, are the fault of the quarterback it's like, well, what about the bad pass that he threw that was exactly the same or that another quarterback threw that was exactly the same and the defender didn't catch it or a gust of wind took it away or like like people just, they have such a hard time with things that are more conceptual, um, especially when it's also something that you can like sort of see with your eyes, but you're not actually seeing it. Yeah, and, and the flip side of that where, you know, you talk about, well, what about the bad pass that wasn't intercepted? Well, what about the good pass that was intercepted? Yeah, exactly. Like, what about the like, one that, you know, the, it just tipped off the wide receiver's hands. It was a perfect, perfect pass, but, you know, he just had stone hands. It, it bounced off and the defender got it. Like, 
There's just so many ways. Like, yeah, you can make a bad pass and have it be intercepted, but you can make a bad pass and have it not be intercepted. You can make good passes and have them be intercepted. Like, it's just, there's so, that's why we say it's noisy. There's so many different ways that it can happen or not happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So with, with that, I mean, I, I pretty much just regress things down towards league averages when it comes to interceptions. I boost up a little bit <clears throat> to guys who are uh, subpar quarterbacks who are actually subpar quarterbacks, um, you know, the, the Tyrod Taylors of the world or whatever. Um, but for the most part, uh, projecting defense, it's been kind of the same exercise as projecting something like goalie for, for hockey. I don't know, Derek, if you ever tried to project hockey, but goalies are hilarious. I mean, they're, they're literally like just their variants with pads on in, in front of a net. <laughs> I haven't it's, done NHL, but I have heard that. <laughs> it's hilarious. I, I mean, I, like for anybody to say that they're confident in a goalie on any individual hockey slate is just, it's, they're not. They're just blowing smoke up your ass because goalies legitimately, every single goalie in the league will regress to somewhere between a 90 and 93% save rate. So you have a 3% difference in the amount of pucks they let through the that they allow to score uh and so if you have a three percent difference and like on average you're going to see what 30 shots on goal or whatever then please tell me which one is going to get the luck in their favor that has a 93 percent rate and which one is going to be a 90 percent rate and then please tell me that it matters because it doesn't i guess that leads me to one last question here before we wrap up what position is the easiest uh, or maybe not easiest, but have you have you guys found that is the most accurate to project? I mean, I've never tested it to know which projection or which positions are are the most accurate necessarily, but I will say that the easiest to project is running backs um, in large part because they're the hardest to project. Um, there's only so much we can know about running backs. Their, their efficiency numbers are incredibly noisy. Um, kind of similar to goalies. If you regress running backs down, the best running back, the difference between the best running back and the worst running back, I'd have to check, but I would guess it's less than like one yard per carry. Um, between the absolute, between like the Derrick Henrys and the, you know, the Kalen Bolages or like whoever you think's like a terrible running back. Like they're, it's like less than a yard per carry probably. And some people will throw their hands up in the air. Oh, I can watch Derrick Henry. He, he can, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and, and that's fine, but uh, I mean, efficiency for running backs is super noisy. And so really all you're projecting for running backs is volume. How does the game script affect them? How does the weather affect them? Um, what percentage of the, the carries is he going to get? What percentage of the targets is he going to get? Um, you know, what percentage of the red zone work? Like that sort of stuff. Um, so, so I'd say running backs are the easiest to project because they're so difficult and because there's a, a few things – um, there, there's a very select few things that actually really matter for running backs, um, at least with, um, and, and the caveat there is, is with publicly available data. I think if, you know, we get like super advanced, you know, uh, biomechanical data where they're tracking, you know, every joint on the player's body as they move <laughs> for every second of every game, like maybe we start getting some, some usable data, but just with the stuff that we have now, like most of it is just nonsense. Oh, no, that's that's kind of an interesting question. I think um, probably the easiest would be – I don't want to say that it's any NFL player because I think that there is quite a bit when it comes to NFL that is kind of up to chance. I think that any position – like running back obviously gets considered as like the 
as Derek said, the easiest people think that it's easiest, but there's still a lot of random variation that happens there. Less, I think, uh, than like wide receiver, but um, I would you know, maybe case that it's more, especially in in today's game. Like I feel like a lot of people talk about how running backs are like the safe plays or like the floor plays, but because there's so few running backs now that are actual like bell cows getting like heavy usage, so much of a running back's projection is made up of touchdown equity. And touchdowns are so freaking random. So, like, when a running back doesn't score a touchdown, it's very easy for him to flop. So I, I think that perception that running backs are, like, safe, uh, it's a little bit of a tangent. But I do think that's a little bit of a misconception. I can agree with that. I can absolutely agree with that. And that's why I wanted to say that I don't think that I would say any NFL player is, uh, is the easiest to project. Um, it's got to be an NBA player. Like, it, it's almost, like, for sure an NBA player. And I, I want to say – that it's likely centers because they are typically their minutes are very, very secure. There's a little bit less variation for centers, I think in the NBA in terms of minutes played. Um, and so much of their baseline just come down to some very, very basic stuff. Like, you know, you have Steven Adams who might, he's basically a lock for somewhere between eight to 14 points and eight to 14 rebounds per night. And like maybe one assist. And it's so easy to project that kind of stuff with centers in the NBA. Um, point guards are a little bit harder and shooting guards, I think are the most variant, but I, I want to say it's centers NBA. Um, base, basically any sport that does not have events, like what I call either what I call event oriented DFS sports, which is like baseball and hockey and um, NFL is a hybrid where we have like baselines that we can assume, um, but also events like touchdowns matter a lot. NBA, I think, is, has got to be the easiest to project on a player level, um, even if it is not easy to project for an entire team. That is a lot of information in a short amount of time, I think. Uh, James, any updates on the uh, – for the Patriot members listening to this, any updates on the site transition or anything you want to throw out uh, uh, where you can find you and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, so if you are a subscriber to paydirt.ghost.io, please remember that we are transitioning over to paydirtdfs.com. Um, it is a WordPress site. All that you're going to have to do is go over there. Uh, the first time that you try to log in, you're just going to say that you forgot your password, and then you'll be able to reset your password, and your username is just whatever your email is without the at Gmail at the end. Um, but I am trying to transition over. I wanted to be done by the end of the month but I don't think that's going to happen because I've had other projects. So, um, you know, over the next week or two weeks or whatever, it's going to be completing that transition. If you are not a subscriber over at paydirtdfs.com, go subscribe. We have fun. We have great Discord. Uh, lots and lots and lots of really useful tools for basically every sport that you can play on DraftKings and FanDuel. And uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, paydirt underscore DFS. Uh, yeah, that's that's my spiel. That's your spiel. All right. And and Derek, thank you so much for joining us. I always enjoy talking to you. Um, so I'll open you up to the floor to give your spiel. <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I love talking about projections and about this kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, if anyone listening has any follow-up questions or anything, always feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm on Twitter at Derek Hardy. If you're interested in the Blitz projection system, you can find it at Roto-Grinders for DFS purposes. You can find it at EV Analytics for sports betting purposes. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Um, you know, I'm always, uh, my door's always open if anyone ever wants to 
you know, talk about stuff or has any questions with this, with any of this, because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, he's not just saying that I, both of these guys, I've asked tons of questions too, and they've always been open to answering them. So thank you everybody out there for listening and good luck this week.